While the man held on to Peter and John, held on to Peter and John, all the people were astonished and came running to them in the place called Solomon's Colonnade. When Peter saw this, he said to them, Fellow Israelites, why does this surprise you? Why do you stare at us as if by our own power or godliness we had made this man walk? The God of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob, the God of our fathers, has glorified his servant Jesus. You handed him over to be killed and you disowned him before Pilate, though he had decided to let him go. You disowned the holy and righteous one and asked that a murderer be released to you. You killed the author of life, but God raised him from the dead. We are witnesses of this. By faith in the name of Jesus, this man whom you see and know was made strong. It is Jesus' name and the faith that comes through him that has completely healed him, as you can all see. Now, fellow Israelites, I know that you acted in ignorance, as did your leaders. But this is how God fulfilled what he had foretold through all the prophets, saying that his Messiah should suffer. Repent then and turn to God, so that your sins may be wiped out, that times of refreshing may come from the Lord, and that he may send the Messiah who has been appointed for you, even Jesus. Heaven must receive him until the time comes for God to restore everything, as he promised long ago through his holy prophets. For Moses said, The Lord our God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among your own people. You must listen to everything he tells you. Anyone who does not listen to him will be completely cut off from their people. Indeed, beginning with Samuel, all the prophets who have spoken have foretold these days. And you are heirs of the prophets and of the covenant God made with your fathers. He said to Abraham, through your offspring all peoples on earth will be blessed. When God raised up his servant, he sent him first to you to bless you by turning each of you from your wicked ways. Just turn to the person beside you and just say, thanks for sitting beside me today. And if you're sitting by yourself, just give yourself a little hug or something and... Let's pray. Heavenly Father, again, thank you for your word. Thank you for your Holy Spirit. And we pray now that the Holy Spirit would take your word, speak truth to our hearts, to our lives, to our minds, that we might be shaped to be more like the Lord Jesus. Speak to us, Lord, we pray in his name. And everybody said... In Acts chapter 3, there has been this remarkable miracle where Peter and John have gone up to the temple and the guy has said, you know, could I have some silver? And 
Peter says those very famous words, silver and gold have I none, but such as I have give I you. In the name of Jesus, rise up and walk. And he does. And he goes walking and leaping and dancing. And the people who had been seeing this guy for years, they'd walk past that beautiful gate to go into the temple. And suddenly here he is healed. They must have asked the question, was he a phony? They would have drawn the conclusion because they knew him reasonably well. No, this is real. Something powerful has happened. And the other people have got a dilemma. Because while I acknowledge that God is the only one who would have such power to do this sort of a thing, and they had denied that Jesus had that power, and so of course his disciples didn't have that power, so how could this possibly have happened? They have no explanation. And so Peter takes the time and the opportunity to direct them. He says to them, you acted in ignorance, and God understands that, but God has been at work. He has fulfilled what he foretold by the prophets that the Messiah would suffer, that he would die. That's the cross. Then Peter gives them very clear instructions, which is what we're going to focus on this morning. Repent and turn to God for three things, so that your sins may be wiped out, so that times of refreshing may come from the Lord, and so that you may... He will send the Messiah, the one appointed for you, Jesus. And then he tells them that heaven must receive him for a time. That's the crown. But at the appointed time, uh, when, God, when it comes for God to restore everything, then he will send Jesus. That's the coming and the consummation. So Peter, in this second of his sermons, talks about the cross, the crown, the coming, and the consummation. And in the middle of it, as he does in both of his sermons, or his sermons in Acts, <clears throat> he addresses the question and the issue, what does God want you to do between the cross and the coming? How are we to live? What does God require of us between these two events? And Peter tells them here, repent, turn back to God, turn away from sin. And then you'll get those three consequences flowing into your life. Sins forgiven, times are refreshing, and that'll usher in the second coming. The Apostle Peter, we're not doing it this morning, but if you go through that passage that Lyndall read to us, thank you, Lyndall, we'll refer to the Messiah in five different titles, each significant. He calls him the servant, the Messianic title of Isaiah, the suffering servant. He calls him the holy and righteous one, whom they disowned. And there's a play on what they did and what God did. <clears throat> that they, instead of asking for Jesus, asked for Barabbas, who was a murderer. And then they, in turn, Peter accuses them of, and you murdered Jesus. You killed him, the holy and righteous one. In fact, they put to death the author of life, the prince of life. But they failed because God raised him from the dead. Now they are guilty. They are unsuccessful in their attempts to get rid of Jesus. And so now what should they do? So what Peter has done has announced their crime, presented the evidence, explained the nature of their sin, and now he offers them pardon. It's remarkable. but That's what the gospel is about. That the ones who are guilty have a get-out-of-jail-free card offered to them. Somebody said, sin is a knot that only God can untie. Isn't it remarkable how hoses can get into a knot? You ever been to those petrol stations where you check your water, your tyres, 
And you take those hose off and invariably when you take it off, it's all twisted up. How does it get twisted up? It's foolproof. Dummies could do it. Apparently not. Because you go there and you pull it. It must be just the way you pull it off and then pull it through the loop or something and you create this twist in it. Sinners like that in us. <clears throat> and sinners are knots that only God can untie. We can untie those knots. Sin is that thing in us which the things of our past can trouble us in the present. I was sharing with a lady once, a young mum. She was on the verge of becoming a Christian and she burst into tears on this one particular occasion. And I thought, well, what's going on here? She was tapping into some stuff that she had done in her past when she was a teenager. Nobody knew about it. But she knew about it. And she knew God knew about it. And she felt she had to come clean with what she had done. And she was just uncontrolled, unconsolable. She just kept crying and crying and crying. And Rhonda and I were trying to share with this lady. And I said, look, you haven't done the worst thing. What would the worst thing be? Murder, wouldn't it? You haven't murdered anybody, have you? And burst into tears. She had. Through abortion. And I said, well, even God can, God can forgive even that sin. So that day she prays the prayer of forgiveness. She says what I did was wrong and she asked God to forgive her. And she moved forward in her relationship with the Lord Jesus. That's what sin can do to us. We take it and we do lots of things with it. What do people do with their sin? Well, here's a list of about seven things. People deny it. Never did it. People tried to rationalise or justify it. Try to put an explanation on it. If you understood the context, then you wouldn't call it sin. Some people try to minimise it. Well, it's not as bad as that. It's inconsequential. Some people repress it very commonly. They shove it somewhere deep in the dark recesses of their mind and they act like it never happened. Repress it. Similar to that, people try to cover it up. <clears throat> if nobody knows, if nobody saw it, then it's covered, no, no harm. No harm, no foul. But Proverbs 28, 13 says, those who cover their sin will not prosper, but whoever confesses and forsakes them will find mercy. Some people try to escape their sin, whether it's drugs or alcohol or ultimately and sadly suicide. That's what they do. Many people even try to atone for their own sins. Do some form of penance, of doing some sacrificial thing or do some good work in order to pay for, to atone for the consequences of their own sin. But none of these things work. The only way to deal with sin is to come to God, to repent, to turn from your sinful ways and to come to him to ask for forgiveness. That's very clearly the only way. And then you experience his forgiveness and his cleansing. If we want to be happy followers of the Lord Jesus, we have to learn how to deal with our sin, our wrongs, our hurts. And the guilt that we carry through what we have done or the anger we carry through what others have done to us, we have to learn how to deal with it. 
Repentance is the first word of the gospel. It's the first word of John the Baptist. It's the first word of the Lord Jesus. It's the first word of the 12 apostles, Mark 6, 12. It's the first word of Peter's preaching. It's the first and theme of Paul's preaching. That's the last call of the churches in Revelation for five of the seven churches to repent. And if you don't repent, then Jesus threatens the churches or warns the churches that he'll come and remove them and shut them down. Repentance is the source of joy in heaven. The angels rejoicing over one sinner who repents. Repentance is universally necessary. Repentance is not a single act. Repentance, in fact, is a continual, ongoing discipline, attitude or habit. We're to be a repenting people. Not, I repented 25 years ago and now I'm in the kingdom. Not that. It's rather, I am a repentant person, day by day, month by month, year by year. We are saved in three tenses, past, present and future. When we repent and accept Christ, like that young mum did, you are saved. I am saved. The Bible also talks about I am being saved. And it talks about in a future tense of and I will be saved. We repent, our past is dealt with. We are to be continually repenting. Daily, confessing and repenting of our sin so that we still experience close fellowship. That establishes a relationship. This maintains the fellowship with the future hope of ultimate glorification. I'm married to a little lady called Rhonda. Relationship established. We sometimes get out of step with each other, still related, connected, legally, and in all other sorts of ways. But we can be out of step with each other, out of fellowship with each other, so too with the Lord. You're still his child, but you can be out of fellowship with us, and that's what sin does to us. It brings this darkness, this dullness into our spiritual lives well this passage says to us that God is the one who forgives those who repent what does Peter tell them to do repent what is repentance repentance is not saying I'm sorry that's not it repentance the Greek word actually has to do with the mind and repentance is a change of mind It's an acknowledgement that what I said or what I did, whatever it was, I changed my mind. I now say that was wrong. And I say to God, and what you say is right. And I change my mind about that. And I also, that impacts my will, which is I change my choices, my decisions on how I behave. It's a change of mind leading to a change of behavior. That's repentance. It often is accompanied by a feeling of sadness or sorrow, regret or remorse or whatever. But those emotional things are not repentance. You can repent without feeling it. And the reverse. 
And you can feel sorry, remorseful and regretful and not repent. Repentance is a change of mind leading to a change of behaviour. John the Baptist insisted in Mark, Matthew chapter 3 when people came to him confessing and saying that they had repented, he said, demonstrate it by a change in your lifestyle. Jesus does the same. The New Testament does the same. Repentance is a change of mind leading to a change of behaviour. Mind and will. And the reality is, until we repent, there is no forgiveness. Now this confuses me a little bit. But the only way that I have been able to get my grasp at the moment is... When I repent initially, I am saved and a relationship for me is established with Jesus and the relationship is solid, it's strong. He saved me, he keeps me. And if that's genuine and real, then there'll be a change in me. But as I go through life, I, like you, we, still find sin enjoyable. We've been lied to. It isn't. Yeah, the Bible says the pleasures of sin for a season, but we are being tricked. We're being conned. We're still deceived and deluded by it. Sin is not enjoyable. How do I know that? Well, when you commit a sin, eventually you're going to feel absolutely terrible about it. You might enjoy the experience at the time, but you won't long term. This is the delusion. This is the deception. When we do sin, sin gets a grip on us and we start to love it and we want to keep doing it and we're reluctant to abandon it. But until we are willing to acknowledge our sin and turn from it and give it up and embrace the Lord Jesus, then you won't experience the depth of this relationship that forgiveness and freedom and abundant life that you can have in knowing Jesus. Charles Spurgeon says, You and your sins must part or you and God cannot be friends. I wonder where you're at with God, how close you are to him in your walk with him this morning. How are you going in your spiritual disciplines? God's desire is for you to be very close to him. Draw near to him and he'll draw near to you. He will respond to you. In fact, in Zechariah, he promises, return to me and I will return to you. God is waiting for our response. You and your sins must part or you and God cannot be close. You can't be friends. You can pretend. It's not real. And like I said, repentance has this positive and negative aspect. There is this initial cleansing that happens at conversion, but there is this ongoing cleansing that must happen in our life. John, the Apostle John, refers to that in his first letter. 1 John chapter 1. Very famous verse. Let me look it up for you because it's the surrounding context of it that makes this so relevant for what I'm saying today John says chapter 1 verse 5 this is the message we have heard from him and declare to you that God is light and in him there is no darkness at all God is light and in him no darkness which means if I'm going to be close to him I'll be in the light with no darkness but we're not at that stage yet of no darkness. But he makes it possible. If we claim that we have fellowship with him and yet walk in the darkness, 
then John says we lie and we are not living according to the truth. But here is this wonderful promise. If we walk in the light, walk in obedience to him, doing as he, as he is in the light, then we have fellowship with one another, vertically as well as horizontally, and something happens automatically, and the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all that other sin. If we walk in the light, he purifies us from all this darkness which is in us. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess, he is faithful and just, will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. If we confess, if we repent, if we say we agree with God, God, this is what I'm doing is wrong. Please forgive me. He forgives. And not only forgives, he cleanses, changes us. It's a process of us cooperating with him. God convicts us of our sin through scripture, but also through our own conscience. And it's probably the hardest words to admit, to humble ourselves and to say, I was wrong. The Fonz certainly found it very difficult to say. Peter says to the people listening to him, what do we do? And he says, one, repent. Change your mind. Make a different decision with your will and turn. In the King James it says, be converted. Turn from sin and turn to God. I know we know this. The question is not, do we know it? The question is, are we doing this? And in verse 26 of this chapter that Lyndall read to us, uh, Peter actually says, we are to turn from our wicked ways. Turn to God from sin. Give it up. Stop it. Cut it out. Admit it. The Lord Jesus told a parable of this sort of change that was expected. He said, once upon a time, there was a father who had two sons. And he said to the first son, son, go work in the vineyard for me. And the son says, I will. He didn't go. Father came to the second son. He said, son, go work in the vineyard for me. And the son said, no, don't want to. But later on, he changed his mind and he went. Question, Jesus says, which one of these two sons obeyed the will of the father? Well, it's easy, isn't it? The one who changed his mind and changed his behaviour. That one does the will of the father. God wants everybody to repent. And God uses these four means. He uses the word of God to persuade people of their need to repent. Luke 16, verses 30 to 31. It's at the end of the parable where Jesus is talking about there was a rich man who died, went to Hades. There was another man, poor man Lazarus. He died and he went to Abraham's bosom. The, poor, the rich man who was in Hades and suffering and in torment looks up and says to Father Abraham... Father Abraham, I remember my five brothers. Could you please send Lazarus back to warn them? To which then he is informed. If they don't believe Moses and the prophets, if they don't believe what God says in the Bible, then they won't believe even if someone were to return from the dead. That's what Jesus said. If you don't believe the scriptures, you won't believe even the miraculous if somebody returned from the dead and told you what's going on. God uses the word of God to convict us and convince us and to persuade us to repent. Number two, God uses sorrow. 2 Corinthians chapter 7, sad times, to bring people to repentance. 
Repentance is not sorrow. Repentance is not remorse or regret or sadness or any of those things. That's not repentance. But God uses those emotions to bring us to repentance, to change our mind and to change our choices, our will. Thirdly, God uses goodness, kindness. He blesses us. Romans 2.4 says that the kindness and the forbearance and patience of God is meant to lead us to repentance. Why is God so good, so kind to people who are not walking with him? Well, his patience and forbearance and kindness is meant to lead them to repentance. God wants everybody to repent. And then finally, this is what got me. The fourth means that God uses to bring people to repentance is the fear of judgment, Acts chapter 17. That God has appointed a day. Now, since in the times of ignorance, God has overlooked, but now God has appointed a day in which he will judge the world. And he has appointed the judge and he's given proof of that by raising him from the dead. Judgment is coming. Proof of it, Jesus Christ rose from the dead. He's the judge. Fear of hell. Fear of the judgment day motivated me to repent. I didn't want to go there. And I'm not alone. There are many. Same reason. So God uses his word. He uses sad times. He uses glad times. And he also uses the fear of future judgment. Zachariah says, as I said before, return to me and I'll return to you. Turn. Repent and turn. What happens then? Three things. Before I get to those, let me just say this. The word of God in history demonstrates for us that running from God brings sadness and destruction. Just nodding our heads and saying, agreeing to these things, and we're not actually doing anything about it, is the equivalent of running from God. Cain ran from God, <clears throat> banished from the Garden of Eden, and there's no record that he ever repented or returned. Jonah ran from God, got himself into a whole mess of trouble. The prodigal son ran, got himself into a whole mess of trouble. The apostle Paul was resisting, got himself into a whole stop running. Like in that beautiful song that we sang before, the father's arms are opened wide. Come to, come to the altar, come to the cross, come to Jesus. He'll forgive us. Not just to establish a relationship, but to maintain this very close, intimate fellowship with him. The reality is that all of us go through life and we have these ups and downs, don't we? Here are the three consequences. Number one, each wonderful. Forgiveness of sins. You'll experience forgiveness of sins. Repent and turn so that your sins may be wiped out or washed away. It's a beautiful metaphor. It's a beautiful image. Isaiah 43.25 says, the Lord is speaking, I am the one who wipes out your transgressions for my sake, and I will not remember your sins. Only God can do that. In the ancient world, the ink of the ancient world had, very, had no acid content in it, which meant that when you wrote on papyrus or vellum, that the ink just sat on, stop, on top and dried. So it didn't actually bite into and penetrate the papyrus. And so to clean it, all you had to do was take a wet sponge and wipe the dried ink off. And then you could reuse it. And, and papyrus and vellum was expensive in the ocean world, so that's what they would do. They would wipe it off and write it on it and wipe it off and write on it and wipe it off and write on it because 
There was no trace left of what was written underneath. That's the metaphor, the image that God takes for us. He says, God will wipe our sins away. Gone forever. Beyond review and recall. If we repent, if we turn, turn from our wicked ways and turn to God. This is what God did at the cross. He took our sin and nailed it there. And now there is no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. Relationship established. Fellowship maintained. Repenting. Turning. Forgiveness is in. Second thing is times of refreshing in our walk with God. Virtually everything in this world needs continual renewal, including us. Manufactured goods, natural resources, our bodies, our souls and spirits. And true repentance, Peter says, results in these times of refreshing, time of renewal. And it comes from the presence of the Lord. When we are careless about our spiritual disciplines, our Bible reading, our praying, our church attendance, our fellowship, our commitment to the gospel and evangelism, when we are careless about our spiritual disciplines, then we decline spiritually. Self and sin again crowd their way back in. And sometimes, because of that, God withdraws his presence. We have a sense of the absence of God. We don't feel him near. That's one way that he draws us to repentance. And the reality is, if we lived in a continual daily repentance, perpetual repentance, then we would not experience this decline. And nor would we need renewal because we would be living in this steady upward state of growth. Well, that's idealistic. Then very few of us, if any of us, can live in that consistent perpetual repentance state. But that's the goal. Aim at that. Both individually for us as a church, for denominations, but this is true for nations as well. Nations have had their moral states reversed when God visits with an awakening or revival. Times of refreshing come by repentance and turning. And this word refreshing is a beautiful word. It means to breathe again. And lexicons and commentators uh, come up with all different sorts of applications or demonstrations of where this word to breathe again. It's like you're running out of breath and you breathe again. You get breathing room in a very busy schedule. You recover your, you rest. It's relief. It's relief from the heat. It's like a cool, fresh breeze on a hot day or a damp cloth on the forehead. It's that sense of refreshment coming to us. Relief from our difficulties or our troubles or our burdensome circumstances that are weighing us down and knocking us about. Refreshment. It's one of the results of repentance and turning. It's beautiful. So this salvation that we establish by repentance and turning initially, establishing that relationship with him, is the hope that we have of going to heaven ultimately. It's pie in the sky when we die. The gospel is not just pie in the sky when we die. It is that. 
It's also what? Steak on the plate while we wait. It's chicken in my kitchen now. It's ham where I am. <laughs> it's for here and now. These times of refreshing are for now. I'm not talking future, we're talking present, current experience. Forgiveness to the soul will bring with it new joy and new zest in life. Times of refreshing from the presence of the Lord. In 2010, auto manufacturers, particularly in the United States, but it went around the world, but in the United States alone, 20 million cars had various defects. Isn't that a frightening thought? 20 million cars on the road with defects. But what is more disturbing is the apathy of the owners. In one instance, the executive director of the Centre for Auto Safety warned the owners. He said, it's a free repair, get it done, it'll save your life. It's a free repair, get it done, it'll save your life. And yet, despite the risks to their lives, 30% of drivers of people never responded. 30%. Unbelievable, isn't it? Well, likewise, many people ignore God's recall notice. Repent. Turn. God made everything good, but we have ruined it by our sin. And God's offer is not simply a free repair. God's offer is a replacement. Gives us a new heart. The free and permanent remedy offered by God for your spiritual defect will save your life, it'll refresh your life, and it'll prepare you for the second coming. It'll forgive your sins, it'll refresh your life, and it'll prepare you for the second coming. That's the third result. The restoration of all things and God sending Jesus. You'll be prepared for when he comes. And you won't be ashamed of him at his coming, nor he of you. The remarkable thing in this context, in this chapter, is that these people, the very people he's talking to, were the people who were before Pilate who said, crucify him. Those same people had rejected and killed the Messiah. And to those people, God is now offering a blessing. It's still available. Jesus had said to Luke 24, to his disciples, the prophets had said that the Messiah must die on the third day, rise again from the dead, and that... Forgiveness of sins must be proclaimed in his name to all nations. Begin here in Jerusalem. Wow. Begin with the very people who did it to me, who killed me, who rejected me. God's grace and mercy. Preach the gospel to Jerusalem first. And those blessings of salvation, of forgiveness and of eternal life, spiritual gifts, calling and purpose in life, all become available as we obey this very simple, humbling and difficult, but very simple instruction. Only by turning from our wicked ways, only by turning from self on the throne, only by giving up what we want to do, and our own egos and our own reputations, and turning to him and saying, Lord, forgive me, be Lord of my life, help me live and be the person that you want me to be. Repentance is the key that unlocks everything. Think how this applies for you. And restoration is needed because <clears throat> some things are twisted and perverted and they need straightening out. Only he can do it when he restores all things. Some things are corrupted and tainted 
And he is the only one who can purify it. And many things are broken and dysfunctional. And he is the only one who can heal it and restore it. Paul says in 2 Timothy 2.19, those who name his name will turn away from their sin. So Peter's word and God's word to us is, so now repent, turn back, so that your sins may be washed away, blotted out, and so that times of refreshing may come from the Lord. And so then he will send Jesus, the one he had chosen, pointed to be our Messiah. Think on what I say. Let's pray. Thank you, Father, for sending Jesus into a world that had turned its back on you and was in defiance and rebellion against you. And yet you, the hound of heaven, came pursuing us. We, like the people of Jerusalem, had killed the Lord Jesus by our sin, by our choices, by wanting to have our way. And yet now you graciously offer to us complete forgiveness if we repent. Complete refreshment to our souls and lives if we turn to you and turn away from sin. And you have indicated and promised that one day Jesus will return. Lord, you know how you have told us how we are to live between the cross and the coming. Help us on a daily basis to be a repentant people, confessing our sin, humbling ourselves, seeking your face, and looking to your blessing in our lives. We ask and pray in Jesus' name. Amen.